I want to welcome all of you back. I assume all of you that are here tonight are from south of the church building. Uh, I pre- because it would be a physical impossibility. I mean, we're literally breaking some certain laws of physics to get here from the north side. It, it took me about three hours to get home this morning, so I just went home and then came back. Put her in neutral coming back and just let the wind take away. But um, we are glad you're here, however you got here, even if you had to break a few laws to get here. We are on Sunday night talking about this idea of unswerving. If you're in your Bibles, you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. This has been our theme verse on Sunday nights. And the writer of Hebrews says this before breaking into the faith chapter. He says, let us then hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And so the idea being that it's not a matter of how much faith we have. It's the one who we have the faith in. It makes a difference. And so I'm going through uh, the Northside 90-day reading program as we're going through that together and picking one of this week's readings each week on Sunday night to look at specifically faith, how, to, how it's exemplified for us in Scripture, how we can grow in it, uh, how we can uh, mature in our faith as we go along. So glad that you're here for this journey. The story is told of two young ladies who... We're going out, and they were they were uh, going shopping or something, and they they saw some, you know, one of these curb alert deals. If you I don't know if you're a Craigslist kind of shop or something, garage sale people just put stuff out by the curb, you know, just take it. And so they were driving along, and they saw this bed out by the curb, and so they stopped and they took a look at it and thought this might work well in our room. It looks kind of like an older bed that somebody didn't want anymore, so they loaded it up. And they put it in the, the vehicle they were driving, and they took it back to their house, and, and, uh, and then they kind of forgot about it, went doing the rest of the day's errands, came back and decided they had to switch out this bed and put it in the right place and all of that. And so they're moving the headboard, the footboard, and the headboard kind of is rattling, and, and it only happens when they turn it a certain way. And they can't figure out what is wrong with this headboard. Obviously, they figured out. Presumably, why they, the other folks gave it away. So they set it aside again, and one of the ladies asked her husband, "You know, if you could glue this together, clamp it up, or fix it, or do whatever it needs to be done, because they really like the, the the one lady said, I really like this, like to use this for, you know, one of these bedrooms." So the husband takes it, and he is working on it, and he is messing around, and one of the posts on the headboard kind of comes off while he's messing with it, while he's trying to clamp it down. And inside are coins. These beautiful antique gold and silver coins that someone had had fit so tightly in there that they didn't move, but they had found them this way. And so they, you know, they dump it out and they see this amazing find. And it, it turns out to be quite a, an extensive collection. They're not in mint condition. But the value of those coins alone is several hundred thousand dollars in a very unlikely place. I'm not sure if you have a treasure story or not. I'm still waiting for mine. I'm guessing God will give me one, so I have more stories to tell. But maybe you have one, or you know one, or you've heard the legend of someone who found a highly valuable treasure in a most unlikely place. That's what we're going to talk about tonight as we look at our scripture reading found in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, 
verses 7 through 12. This comes from day 54 of the 90-day Bible reading. If you're turning there, read with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body, this is verse 10, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in life, but in us, but life is at work in you. We're going to focus really on these verses tonight and the lessons that we can draw specifically about the value and the treasure that we carry inside of us. The first lesson is this. Remember who you are. Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The term jars of clay there or earthen vessels, if you some have tra- different translations. The Greek word simply means a baked clay pot. These were common, cheap, highly breakable, and easily replaceable. They were the, the stationary, uh, they were the, the, the very common... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? China of the day. They were what you ate off of, what you drank off of. They were what you stored things in. The pots specifically were used for all different types of storage purposes. They might have been the Tupperware of the day. No offense to our Tupperware representatives. I know Tupperware is much better. But they were something that nearly everyone have had. They weren't ter- tremendously expensive. And if they somehow got destroyed or ruined, it wasn't the end of the world. I like to really think about how you and I are simply vessels of clay. That When God formed the man, he formed him out of the dust of the ground. He, he made clay. I don't know if any of you have yards that are like mine, which is about 100% clay. It's hard to grow stuff in, but it's very interesting when you pull it up. You can mold things, you can shape things out of it. That's what clay is, of course. Our physical bodies are like these jars. Our bodies, of course, come in all shapes and sizes, each of them designed by our heavenly potter for whatever purpose that he desired. They are shaped by the potter, but they are hardened by fire, by life, by trials, by difficulties. Some people don't wish for those things, hardening them. They don't wish for the the difficulties and trials of life, but, but those are the things that refine us, that define, not define us, but refine us and make us who God wants us to be. In the first century, the clay pots held different things. Sometimes they were 
used for holding money or jewelry or important uh, documents or uh, skins that that had writing on them. But they also were used for not-so-great purposes. Uh, They held garbage. They held human waste. See, the value of the jars themselves, jars were all pretty much the same. But the value of them came down not to what the jar was, but to what was inside the jar. Best-known example is in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in a cave there by the sea, and those jars were very fragile, not very valuable at all. But the scrolls contained therein uh, took our textual evidence of the Bible, the, the most recent manuscripts we had, it took it forward a thousand years. Most valuable archaeological exp- uh, discovery that we've uh, found in recent years. The jars themselves, not so much. What was inside, absolutely priceless. People don't go to museums to see those jars. Oh, there might be a few remnants here or there, but what they really go to see is what was inside. God uses the frail and the fragile and temporary vessels like you and me to carry the message that is beyond value. It is a treasure beyond understanding. That message transcends the messenger. The contents transcend the value of the jar. We live in a world that focuses a lot on the jar, on the pots, what they look like on the outside. How thin or tall they are or how beautiful they might be. Understanding that all jars, all pots are temporary vessels. Not made to last. The contents in the clay jars were uh, very valuable, but they were in temporary holding places. The second lesson we remember is who has you? Verses 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians. <clears throat> we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. The Christian life is going to be full of trials and difficulties, those refining fires. Jesus never promised an easy life. He did promise hope in the times for the times that were not easy. He promised an answer in times of relentless questions. But didn't say he would save us from the questions or the difficulties or the trials. Now, specifically thinking about the Apostle Paul. Jesus said in Acts chapter 9 of Paul, who's then called Saul. He said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now, verse 16 of Acts 9 is interesting. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, Jesus was not a guy who tended to understate things. You imagine this Pharisee, this Hebrew of Hebrews, trained as he was in the law, in, in, uh, under Gamaliel. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a, a guy who 
technically speaking from the, the word, he knew it. Knew it well. Argued it, debated it. Saw Christianity as a threat to that which he knew. And so he persecuted it. And Jesus says, I'm going to use that guy. I'm going to use his passion. I'm going to use his knowledge. I'm going to use his skill. But, oh, he's going to pay. He's going to pay an incredible price to deliver this message to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Here's how Paul phrased it himself. He said, talking about himself, he says, Rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul would go through many trials and many punishments and many persecutions. You look at the story of Acts and it was unbelievable what one man would go through for the cause of Christ. It gives us a little bit of perspective on our own trials, our own difficulties, how much we've suffered for the name almost makes us feel ashamed. When we look at what Paul suffered, we remember, or we, we might ask the question, how could Paul endure such intense agony? Such, such, at one point, he says, we despaired even of life itself. I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but particularly on behalf of your faith. But would you have sunk into a very low, deep, dark depression? Maybe even had suicidal thoughts? Paul can identify. He, he had got to a very low point. I mean, this was, this was intense, serious stuff. How could he endure? Paul's trials didn't weaken him. They actually gave him strength. They emboldened him. There's this book that I haven't read, but that my friend Brian Middleton shared with me, called Unfragile. And the book's, the premise is that there are things which are fragile in life. Think, for example, as a, a beautiful crystal glass. You want to handle that carefully because faced with enough difficulty, resistance, jostling, it'll break. The difficulty leads, uh, will wear it out, leads to damage and breakage. But there are other things that are the exact opposite. That, that you give them difficulty, you give them wear, you, you exercise them, you, you jostle them. And instead of getting weaker, they become stronger. An example of this, I'm sure you were all thinking of it as you were looking at me, your muscles. They get stronger the, the more that you press them, the more resistance you give them. And that is, I really think, what Paul's trying to say about us in Christ. The more resistance we have, 
the more difficulty in our life increases, the more trials we get. If your faith is in Christ, it shouldn't weaken you. It should make you stronger. The story is told of former President Teddy Roosevelt. In 1912, he left his hotel room to make a speech to his supporters. As he headed to his car, a man who was later declared insane pointed a gun at Roosevelt's heart and fired. The bullet hit Roosevelt in the chest and lodged near his rib. However, the bullet didn't approach his heart. Fortunately for Roosevelt, he had folded his 50-page speech and placed it in his coat pocket. I don't know how you have a 50-page speech, but that's what the resource said. So don't worry, I'm not near that many pages tonight. See you thinking. But the bullet was slowed down by his outer coat, his suit, and and the, the speech that was folded inside the jacket pocket. Roosevelt's handlers said he ought to go to the hospital, but Roosevelt, being Teddy Roosevelt, uh, had other ideas. So he coughed a few times. He spit on the ground make sure there wasn't any blood coming through his lungs. Didn't see any. So he went on, and he gave the speech. Uh, yeah. Pardon me, but if before church some guy comes up and shoots me and I barely survive, I'm going to ask you know, West to lead a few more songs. He, didn't, he not only proceeded with the speech with the bullet lodged in his ribs, he spoke for 90 minutes. His, that, that little story shows us the strength and resilience of a man in his physical body. What Paul's talking here is about the strength that comes in the inner man. When you have Christ within you and the Spirit giving you the strength that you need, uh, you can do much greater things. I'm not sure exactly what trials you're going through in your life, but I do know that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that with his power and his strength and his might, you can and will overcome. Third point, we need to remember who is in you. We always carry around, this is verse 10, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. Suffering was, as we said, a a commonplace thing for Paul. He understood it. I don't think he liked it any more than any person liked suffering. But it was a reality for him as part of his calling. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, another example where Paul gets a little more specific. He's addressing the church at Corinth, and he's, he's explaining to them, listen, <laughs> I'm going to tell you how much I've suffered, not to brag on my sufferings, but to understand, to make you understand how deeply I love you, how much I care for you that I would endure this, uh, these kind of trials. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. By the way, they they stopped short of 40. If you've probably heard this before, but 40 was considered it would kill a man. They stopped one short of that. 
Now that would one time would be a life-changing thing. He, he endured that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily to face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Um, this is a humbling thing to read as a minister because sometimes we get a little self-centered and thinking, woe is me, nobody knows how hard I've got it. And, and we read 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, uh, can, I, can I talk to you a little bit about ministry <laughs> and about how little you've actually suffered? Maybe he doesn't just speak to a minister, but to all ministers. As he reminds us that suffering is a part of the, the Christian call. That if you're going to... If you truly don't want to share the gospel with people, as is commonly said, I, I just want to live a good example. You're asking for a really, really tough life. Because God needs to make it so hard on you... So that the world can look and say, whoa, look at, look at how this person is suffering. And, and, and look at the, they're, they're unchanged. They're, they're glorifying God. They're worshiping God. I mean, they've had everything thrown at them. And be careful about wanting to just live by your example. Number two, those who hated Jesus took their vengeance out on his ambassadors. That was true then. That's true now. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. Jesus, in addition to not ever promising an easy life, he actually promised quite the opposite. John chapter 15, verse 18 and following. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they did not know the one who sent me. Christianity, if you do it right, means that there are going to come times when the world just says, I, I don't understand that and I don't like it. I think it's bigoted. I think it's hate-filled. And I just don't agree with it. I think it's narrow-minded to believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Yeah, you're going to experience the world's hatred. And and I got to... Yeah, I know some of them are tuned out, but... If this section right here will focus on me for just a second, it's going to get harder on you than it ever was on me. And for sure harder than it ever was on them. I mean, I don't know if you've really considered that or not, but 
When you made the commitment to Christ, especially in the age that you live in, there's going to come many times when you're up against the world's culture and you have to decide, will I follow the world? Will I go along with the world? Because if I choose not to, they'll hate me and ostracize me and treat me unkindly and say bad things about me on social media. They will press me down. I mean, in the age that we live in, you realize anyone can have a platform. It used to be just certain people got to, you know, do this thing. You, you all can reach more people, maybe, than I can. So that there is incredible risk, more now than ever for Christians, especially in the Western world. It's getting bad. If you're not paying attention to the world around you, understand the enemy's working. It's going to get rough. If you aren't serious in that commitment, you need to really think about it. Because Jesus said, he'd rather be you be cold or hot than be lukewarm. All right. You can go back to your phones. Paul's weakness, Paul's trial, Paul's difficulty was a platform for Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul said, everything that I had, everything that I was, is nothing to me. All the accolades, all the recognition, all the awards, all the, the notoriety, I, I don't even consider that worth talking about. I crucify all that, Christ only. The life I live, I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to think now about your trials and persecutions and difficulties. First of all, if you don't have those, a good question is why? Jesus said you would. If you don't, where's the disconnect? Have you become so much like the world that they don't know that you're Christ? It's a temptation for every Christian. To just sit back, to sit in the shadows, to be comfortable, to just not say anything that will ruffle any feathers, not to not do anything that might cause an eyebrow to raise, but just to go along, to get along. Jesus called it letting your, your salt be thrown out, be trampled by men. But if you are being salt and light, and that creates for you troubles and trials and difficulties, Think about it this way. Paul's weakness was a platform for Jesus. He had the opportunity to use those things to speak about Christ. The lion's den was a platform for Daniel. The prison was a platform for Joseph. The dungeon was a platform for the scriptures that Paul would write. The prison was a time of preparation for Peter. Patmos was an arena for the revelation that we now know as the book of Revelation uh, for the apostle John. Your suffering, your whatever your trial you're going through is a platform. It's an opportunity. Your mess can be a message. Your test can be a testimony. Your trial can be a beautiful message and a witness to who, not who you are, but who he is. The tre- pre- treasure we are privileged to hold is the knowledge of our creator through his son, Jesus Christ. Regardless of the condition of the vessel, 
regardless of what it looks like, to what it's going through. We are valuable because of the treasure within. It's that treasure which makes the difference. Sometimes we may look at ourselves and say, I'm weak, I'm insufficient, I fall short, I don't have, I don't measure up, I'm not as good as the other clay pots, I don't have any special skills, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've got a few flaws in me. And you need to understand that you're just as valuable to God if the treasure lies with Him. And God can still use you. You've probably heard the story of the cracked pot, but if you have, then be patient and uh, allow me to share it with those who have not. A water bearer in India had two large pots, each hung on the end of a pole, which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house. By the time they arrived, the crack pot only had half the water. For a full two years, this went on every day with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots full of water to his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, perfect to the end for which it was made, but the poor cracked pot was ashamed at its own imperfection and miserable that it was able only to accomplish half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. Why, asked the bearer, what are you ashamed of? I have been able for the past two years to deliver only half of my load because of this crack in my side. It causes the water to leak out and all the way back to the house I am so ashamed for I do not do what I was meant to do. Because of my flaws, you, <clears throat> you have to do all of this work, but you don't get full value for all the work that you do. The water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot, and in his compassion he said, As we return to my house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun <clears throat> warming the beautiful wild flowers on the side of the path, and this cheered him some. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out again half of its load. And so again it apologized for its shortcoming. The bearer said to the pot, Did you notice that there were some flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? It's because I have always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back down from the stream, you've watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate the master's table. For without you being just the way you are, he would not have beauty to grace his house. We all have our unique flaws, and in many ways, there is no full and complete pot. We're all cracked pots is what I'm saying. But if we will allow it, the Lord will use our flaws to grace his Father's table. That what makes the value of the pot, again, is not the, what the pot looks like on the outside, but the treasure that it holds within. And we not forget that we are treasured in the Father's eye because 
of the treasure that we carry in our cracked, flawed clay pots. Next week, we're going to talk about the goal. We'll look at what Paul has to say about that. I want to tell you tonight, if you're a cracked pot and you have not turned yourself over to the master water bearer, I want you to think about it and consider coming down front where I'll meet you and tell you how you can let him use your cracks, your flaws, your imperfections, all the things that you've been through to make the world a better place and to make the kingdom a little brighter. If you have a need, please come meet me down front. We'll help you in any way we can as together we stand and sing.